Father, in one sense, it's 11.17 on a Sunday morning. Nothing particular about this moment, this building. But in another sense, you, God of miracles, the God of signs and wonders, the God of love and deliverance, the God of forgiveness and mercy and hope and joy are here among us. There's nothing mundane about this moment. And we just pray, God, that we would open our hearts to you. What a joy to rest in this time and just humbly ask for your spirit to be at work. How we need that. I pray that there would be a longing in my heart and in our hearts together for that in this time. Shape us, mold us, we pray, into the image of Christ in this time. We want to be more like Jesus. Help us see him and his splendor and his call in this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things I uh, really love about this little sermon series that we're in at the moment, if you are visiting, uh, we're in a, a series looking at the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, and uh, we're just taking each of those nine uh, one at a time. And one of the things that I love about this sermon series is the way that the list of fruit in Galatians 5 takes what the, the world sees as to be honest, sometimes somewhat obvious, perhaps even mundane, and the way the, the truth of Galatians 5 roots these things in something spectacular and otherworldly. I wasn't planning on praying like that, but you know, that's maybe why I prayed that way there. 1117, it's just a normal moment, but no, together, God among us, there's something spectacular that can happen this morning. And, and this is indeed this is a taste of heaven among us, as God is here among us. And, and uh, you know, if you think of some of the examples in Galatians chapter 5, to be patient, for example, or to be good, these are, these are little lessons that probably every child almost will or should be taught from their earliest years, to the extent that the rationale as to why and, crucially, how we should pursue such expectations are, are just, it's almost just assumed as self-evident. And Galatians 5 shakes us and keeps us from simple assumptions like that. Galatians chapter 5 makes clear that to be loving, joyful, patient, good, and, and so on, these are not obvious these are not easy. Indeed, they're actually ultimately not achievable in our own strength. They are, by definition, from Galatians 5, qualities that God brings about as we are found in Him and as we stay connected to Him, rooted in Him. And I love that. I, I, I love that these are not moral tick boxes that we've been trying to sort since we have been toddlers encountering probably as much failure as success the older we get. But these are marks 
of our true standing in Jesus. These qualities, these fruit, are the fingerprints of God's amazing grace seen in our lives more and more we pray. Now we get a little glimpse of this concerning the fruit we're looking at today, in particular in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to be jumping all over the place today, but I really do encourage you to open a Bible, or if you don't have a Bible open, there's some at the back, or you can download an app if you prefer. Uh, I would encourage you to follow along. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we have one of these passages where Paul is having to convey to the church of the apostolic authority God has given him that the church in Corinth should recognize. And he lists a number of ways that God has worked in and through him. So let's look from verse 3 of 2nd... Sorry, I've opened to 1st Corinthians chapter 6. That would not go well. That's a very different passage. 2nd Corinthians chapter 6 is where I want to be. And uh, let's read from verse 3. He says this. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. By great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors, yet true. And so on he goes. We could keep reading, but what, what a list that is to testify to as an apostle. The trials that Paul had endured, the persecutions, the beatings, the imprisonments, the hunger, the sleepless nights and conflicts. Through all of that, then, also the knowledge that God gave him, the love that Paul was able to show, the truth that he taught with, the power of God he ministered in, all in the hardest of circumstances. Now, those certainly are wonderful examples of how God can miraculously use his people in extraordinary ways. And perhaps some of us, maybe if you grew up in the church especially, have read books of of missionaries who kind of embody some of these incredible qualities who lived with God-given zeal and courage, and maybe we've been inspired by those stories. But what I love is that in this passage, did you catch it? There's a little mention of the fruit that we're looking at today, kindness. Did you see it, verse 5? Beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness. The Holy Spirit, genuine love. I mean, it's a little odd to see that listed in there, isn't it? Alongside all these dramatic realities that showed God's power in Paul's life. Yes, Paul would say, yes, these are signs of how God has worked in my life. But just as much, just as worthy of comment is that myself and my other partners in the gospel We have, by God's grace, been kind. We've been kind. We've lived with kindness. That is, Paul's saying, just as he said in Galatians chapter 5, a mark 
Kindness is a mark of God's power and activity in my life, not just some little moral lesson to be soaked up in school assemblies or achieved if and when we feel like it, as per the, the phrase, random acts of kindness that you can pursue on a You know there's a day, there's a random acts of kindness day. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but that's certainly not what Paul is getting at here and listing them here in 2 Corinthians 6. Kindness is the work of God. Yes, in a sense, so simple, and yet so profound, so deep, and indeed challenging, right? And not only just challenging, but so needed. In this polarized world in which we live, of entrenched views and suspicion if not outright demonization of others who might see things differently to how we see them. Oh, in that context, how Jesus' church needs to display the fruit of the Holy Spirit of kindness to the world. I think many in our culture understand something of the the need and the power of kindness and God's common grace that he reveals to, to all of us. Listen to what 20th century writer and philosopher Aldous Huxley said. He said this near the end of his life. He said, it's a little embarrassing that after 45 years of research and study, the best advice I can give people is to be a little kinder to each other. There's something of that resonates, I think, with, with all of us. But we need to understand more. What is kindness? What does it mean to show the fruit of kindness in our lives? And how does this happen? Well, we want to start with what is kindness? And it's not very easy to define, is it? Sinclair Ferguson uh, once said in a sermon, trying to define kindness is like trying to define a banana. You can try, but you'll end up struggling. What you really need to do is say here, taste this. And it is a little bit like that, right? We, we, we feel and sense kindness when, when something happens to us that is kind, but it's quite hard to define. But we're going to make a, an effort at it because across the, the New Testament, there are a number of different uses of this word. Not too many, actually, but a number of different ones which d- display different aspects of what it means to show kindness. First one is this. We could have started anywhere, but I'm just starting here. Kindness means showing love to enemies. Now, I wanted to start here so that we could really dive in at the deep end, so that we could see that when the Bible speaks of kindness, it's not a a sort of fluffy, pretty, bouncy, cheery, easy thing. It's immediately complex and, to be honest, very difficult to take. Because whether we're thinking of enemies, as we are a lot in the world at the moment in a sort of geopolitical sense, or whether we're thinking of someone who has acted wrongly, perhaps horrifically wrongly, towards us in our daily lives, this call to show love to our enemies is so difficult to get our heads around. This is not a nice thing for us. It it will not feel good, initially at least, to show love to enemies. The 18th century Anglican writer Samuel Johnson wrote this, kindness is in our power 
even when fondness is not. You may not feel fond towards everyone in the church family, but kindness is in your power, even if fondness isn't. Listen to what Jesus said. Would you please turn back to Luke chapter 6 and uh, listen to how Jesus taught his followers in Luke chapter 6. We're going to go from verse 32. Jesus says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expect nothing in, your, in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. It's so helpful for us, if not particularly easy, to see how practical Jesus is here. We need this because a vague, abstract idea of being kind may well let us off the hook. I told you of one of my favorite books over the last couple of years, Prayer in the Night by Tish Harrison Warren. Listen to what she writes in that book. A lot of what appears as kindness or patience or holiness in my life is fueled by good health, energy, and simple pleasures. When these are taken away, it's clear that I am not that kind or patient after all. I just didn't have backache. I love that because I, I love the honesty of it. And I think we can all relate to it. Even when we're not feeling kind and warm towards others, even when we've not got back pain, or even when we do have back pain, Jesus shows us in this passage, in very practical terms, what it means to be kind. He starts out by talking about love, love your enemies. But then he drills down a little bit deeper. He talks about doing good doing good things for others, not just feeling loving or feeling nicely towards them, but showing love in tangible good actions. Then, in case we're struggling, Jesus gets even more practical. Verse 35, uh, love your enemies and do good. There's the first two. And then he says, you know, here's an example of what this looks like, and lend, expecting nothing in return to our enemies giving of what we think of as ours. I mean, that's hard enough to do with the people that are closest to us, our friends, our work, our co-workers, our, our, our family. If we think something is ours, to give that away with no expectation that we're going to get it back, that's hard with those we love. Jesus is saying, do that for your enemies. This is what it means to be kind. It's this tangible, self-sacrificial love for even those who aren't nice to us. Now, how do we know this is kindness? Because this is how God acts towards us, and it's defined as kindness. Look at verse 35 again. Lend, expect nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. This is what it means for God to be kind. He acts in tangible goodness towards those who are ungrateful and evil. 
giving of him very self, giving us of his very self. So, dear friends, as God does that, so should we, loving our enemies. Second aspect of what it means to be kind. Be patient and slow to pass judgment when we see something wrong in others. How easy it is, especially for those of us who are wired in a certain way, to react quickly when we see something we feel isn't right, like judgmental little meerkats, you know? (laughs) You know, pointing out the issues that other people have, always on the lookout for someone who's doing something wrong so we can, you know, bless them with our input on that matter. Um, At the end of Romans chapter 1, if you would turn to Romans, we're actually going to read from Romans chapter 2, but at the end of Romans chapter 1, Paul lists a bunch of behaviors which he calls all manners of unrighteousness, so bad stuff. And it's everything from envy to murder, everything from gossip to boastfulness, from foolishness to slander. And then right after that, in Romans chapter 2, we read this. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Paul's saying here in Romans chapter 2, those who are quick to point out issues in other people have missed what it means to embrace the kindness of God. To know, to truly know the kindness of God brings us to our knees. To know the kindness of God leads us to repentance. It brings us low in wonder and gratitude that God would be so kind to me. There's a basic humility here that Paul is calling, God is calling us to through the Apostle Paul. It's the same as in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Paul says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. I love that the scriptures call us to bear with one another. You know why? Because I really need you to bear with me a lot. Because I'm a mess and I'm annoying and I get things wrong and I say the wrong thing and I think the wrong thing and I do the wrong thing and I don't lead well and I'm mean to people and I need you to bear with me. Would you bear with me? I love the reality of the Bible here. Bearing with one another. We're to put that on as the clothes that we would put on every day. Now, we're going to get to this. It doesn't mean that when we see something wrong in others, we shouldn't speak to that. We'll get there. But the point is here, just take a breath. I, I, I was going to say a bet. I am sure, I suspect that many of us have come in today and have seen something in someone else, heard something they said, seen something they've done, and have thought, 
Just take a breath. Don't be quick to judge others. Be patient like God is with you and with me. Be slow to judgment. Be meek and humble. May we look at the planks in our own eyes before we see the specks in others. Third aspect of what it means to be kind. Be available, showing grace when people fail. We're going to go to Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, <laughs> I was thinking as I was preparing, oh, I was going to write in my notes, this might be one of my favorite passages in the Bible. But then I say that about like 30 chapters of the Bible, so who knows? But Ephesians is up there. Uh, and in, in, in chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, we have this amazing summary of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, how we were dead in our sins, we were living as we please, we were following all sorts of unhelpful and God-dishonoring paths, and how God, let's read from verse 4, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. How does God show the wonder of his grace? He shows, that, he shows it in kindness. The kindness of God is his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, the good news of Jesus. It is how that moves towards us. That's God's kindness. When we were in a mess, totally devoid of hope, when we were away out from the path that God had for us, God came to us. God was available. God helped us in his kindness. So are you available for people when they're a mess, when they're annoying, when they're making the same mistakes again and again. Who is failing around you in your life that you can be available to, that you can show grace to? Who's struggling around you that you can move towards in the kindness of God? Fourthly, what does it mean to live with kindness in our lives? It means use your speech to build others up. Two chapters over, Ephesians chapter four. Paul has an awful lot to say from verse 25 onwards of Ephesians four about how we use our words. And he sums up this chapter by uh, saying, be kind to one another. Verse 32 of Ephesians four, be kind to one another. The point is this, if you want to see the fruit of kindness grow in your life, it will change how you speak to one another. The first thing we see, and this is what I said we'd come back to, is that this doesn't mean to show kindness in our lives, to be there in, in a gracious and loving way, to move towards people in love. That doesn't mean that we ignore things that have gone wrong. Look at, let's read from verse 25 of Ephesians 4. Therefore, having put away falsehood, so we're not to be fake, 
And part of that is when there's issues, we need to be real and honest with each other. Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer, oh sorry, I'm done, and give no opportunity to the devil. We are to speak the truth. Now, this is important. It's in the context of the shared life that we have together within the church of Jesus Christ. Within that context, it even says there can be a righteous kind of anger that can come out. Did you see it? Be angry and do not sin. And within the context then of the family of God, we need to be truthful with each other. And sometimes that may even involve needing to be angry about certain realities. Now, obviously, we need to be so careful here, but I hope you can think of some examples of this that you've come across in your own life. In Jesus' church, we should be able to think of examples when we have been confronted by hard truths by those we love and respect. I wanna tell you just one example of that in my life uh, with our, one of the former pastors of this church, Andy Hayes. I can't remember the details of what happened, but in some way, I had, I had been mean to Andy. I had said something wrong about him. I'd I'd talked about him behind his back or I'd spoken poorly of him. I'd been mean about him in some way. It might have been in a stupid reply all email. Anyone made mistakes with reply all emails? I can't remember what had happened, but I had acted completely wrongly towards Andrew and he had become aware of it. Someone told him what I'd said. And at a certain point, not straight away, he took a breath But a few days later, after him hearing about this, he spoke to me about it. He was just dead honest about, and he wanted to know, where where did this come from? This isn't, this isn't aligned with how you and I operate together. This isn't who you truly are, Martin. I mean, that was the tone that he came with. Is everything okay? What led you to speak like this? I was so ashamed. I was so gutted and embarrassed and sorry, and thankful. That he was so right, and so kind in doing that. He didn't want division. He didn't want anger to take root. Didn't want to give an opportunity to the devil. You see that there in Ephesians chapter four? So he spoke to me, and he was kind in doing that. And he was kind in the way that he did it. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Yes, sometimes we need to speak about hard things. That's not an excuse to tear someone down. That's not an excuse to have the, the tough conversation so that you can take them down a peg or two. That's, it's always in the context of building up. Let everything be done for the building up of the people of God. That's the way Andy spoke to me that day. What a gift. Honest, tough, difficult conversation with people who sometimes rub each other up the wrong way. So whether it's a tough situation or just in general, what does it mean to see the fruit of kindness grow? It means you use your words to build up. 
This is how we share the grace of God around, not holding on to grudges, you know, not going to sleep angry. Do you hear that there? I, I didn't know my, my dad was going to be here today, but I was going to mention what a gift I had in my dad. I, I was an idiot as a teenager. I mean, like outrageously badly behaved, rude, rebellious, and just getting involved in all sorts of mess and nonsense to the extent there where sometimes uh, at two or three or four in the morning, my dad had to speak some truth to me. And uh, there might have involved raised pulses and raised voices and all of that was entirely appropriate. But I tell you what, the next day, We'd be, you know, lying in my front room, me and my pal Jamie. And Dad would, you know, you'd hear him prancing around in the hall with some silly song or some silly nonsense. And he'd, he'd not let his anger go to bed with him. He dealt with me appropriately in the night. And the next day, he always woke up with a smile, a friendly word. Thank you, Dad. What a gift. Kindness of God. Hard moments, but using our words to build one another up. Next, what does it mean to know the fruit of kindness in our lives? Be tender-hearted. Be tender-hearted. Last night we were chatting as a family, and frankly, I was asking them to help me with my sermon. I'm trying to figure out what is kindness, you know. And and, and I was I was struggling with you know that that Sinclair Ferguson quote. It's hard to define kindness without reference to other fruit of the spirit and other good things that God calls us to. You you end up just and. Uh, and then Jacob said at one point, this was his definition, and I loved it, and I wrote it down. I said, I'm quoting you tomorrow, Jacob. He said, kindness is doing something that makes someone else's heart warm. Um, I love that definition, and I think it is aligned with another comment Paul makes in this passage in Ephesians chapter 4. And I mentioned the summary sentence in verse 32. He says, be kind to one another. And then as if to elaborate on what that means, Tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Tender-hearted. Do you feel that just now? Is the Holy Spirit bringing that about in you? John Piper writes on this word. He says, the idea behind tender-hearted is that our insides are easily touched. When your skin is tender, it doesn't take a very hard touch to make it feel pain. When your heart is tender, it is easily affected. It feels easily and quickly. Christians should not be cold, icy, prickly, hard, distant people. We should be and should show tenderheartedness. This is the kindness of God in us. We're getting there. Number six, what does it mean to show kindness in our lives? We need to forgive one another. Now, this is a sermon in itself. Frankly, it's a sermon series in itself. I'm on record as saying that I wish our membership covenant had not six promises, but seven promises that we would commit to forgiving one another because this is such a fundamental aspect of what life in Jesus looks like. Definitely as part of what it means to be kind. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I think one of the most staggering issues in Jesus' church is the unforgiveness that so often takes root. How can we be bitter towards others? Holding grudges when we know how Jesus has dealt with us. You know what? When someone is just 
unrelentlessly holding on to unforgiveness. I worry for where they are before the Lord God in heaven. Because if you truly know how much you've been forgiven of through Jesus Christ, who gave up his very life to save us and call him, call us into his family, if you truly know that, how can you hold a grudge against someone else? How can you withhold forgiveness? I know it's not simple. I know there's horrific evils in this world, and it doesn't mean that you're best buddies with someone. It doesn't mean that you don't pursue justice. All these things, this is why, this is why it's a sermon series. <laughs> I'm going to move on. I just want to encourage you. Know Jesus. Know his love for you, and then extend that love and forgiveness to others. If you're feeling bitter towards someone today, forgive them. 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, why not just rather be wronged rather than holding on to that? Why not rather be wronged? (laughs) It's just so otherworldly. Let it go. Penultimately, I think. (laughs) Yeah, penultimately. What does it mean to know kindness in our lives? Point to the deeper need. Point to Jesus. When you take all of the above together, showing love to enemies, being patient, being available when people fall, using speech to build up even in tough circumstances and so on and so forth, we see that showing God's kindness in our lives isn't some passing, intermittent act of charity, but it all adds up to something deep and profound. Ultimately, friends, this should all point people towards Jesus. How many times in the Gospels do people come up to Jesus with a request, asking for him to be kind in, for example, healing them, or asking them Asking Jesus to be kind in granting them peace from despair or resolution of a dispute. God, Jesus, be kind to me. And, and how many times in those, moment, in those moments does Jesus go way beyond the, 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 the request that is brought before him to the deeper need, i.e. for that person to be made right with God? Again, Sinclair Ferguson said this, Christian kindness always sees that there's a much, much deeper need that the gospel of Jesus Christ alone can meet. I'm not calling us today to just be nice, to just be pleasant. The kindness that is gonna grow in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit is way more radical than that. The kindness that we're called to speaks to the deepest need of those that we come into contact with. The the kindness that we're called to will therefore point them towards the only one who can meet that deepest need, Jesus Christ himself. So coming to a close, the question is, how do we do this? How do we do this? Well, before uh, we show kindness in pointing people to Jesus, we have to come to Jesus ourselves. We have to know his kindness. Um, One of the things that I was thrilled to realize in preparing for this message today is a special place that this word kindness shows up in in one of the most famous quotes uh, in the New Testament. And I didn't know that the word kindness was here because it's not translated as that. I don't know why, but it's the word kindness. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says this, come to me, All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn for me, 
For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. When he says, take my yoke upon you, that means take my, my teaching, my presence, my way, my life, all of that. Take that upon yourself. And then listen to verse 30. For my yoke is kindness, and my burden is light. My yoke is kindness. This is Jesus' way. In some ways, it's the summation of all that Jesus is and all that he's done. He is the kindness of God in the flesh, in the mercy that can be ours, in his companionship, in the solid rock that we can stand on in the storms of life, in his wisdom, in his perfection, in the compassion that can be ours, in the forgiveness, in the, in the new life, in the, the hope of eternal life that we have, in the wondering at his glory. That is his kindness. Have you known the kindness of Jesus? I was asking my family just that question last night. Have you known the kindness of God? That's when you know you've truly come to him. You've taken on his yoke. His yoke is kindness. And his burden is light. So, dear friend, come to him this morning. Brother, sister, I told you this was going to be the conclusion of every one of these messages. Stay rooted in him. And then listen to what Dane Ortland writes. Only as we walk ever deeper into this tender kindness... Can we live the Christian life as the New Testament calls us to? Only as we drink down the kindness of the heart of Christ will we leave in our wake, everywhere we go, the aroma of heaven. May it be. Father in heaven, thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you that we can know true, new, everlasting life in him. Thank you that his yoke is kindness. God, I pray that we would know his kindness today. And that as we know that, as we love that, as we love you, as we thank you, as we wonder at your kindness towards us, oh God, help us spread kindness like a fragrant aroma around this world. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.